Welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown. Today I'm joined by Clark Corbin of the Idaho Capitol Sun to discuss the latest bills introduced in the legislature and how they could change the laws around elections and voting. Thanks for joining me, Clark. Hi, Ruth. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Of course. We're going to start with absentee ballots. Several bills were introduced in the last few days regarding absentee ballots and who can collect them. Can you walk me through how that's different this year versus last year? Yeah. So one of the bills that I know we've both had our eye on is House Bill 547. That's a bill Mike Moyle, Republican from Star, uh, has sponsored. That just had its hearing on Monday. It passed out of committee. It's heading to the House floor where it could be taken up for a vote really anytime uh, this week. Representative Moyle said that this bill is intended uh, to push back against ballot harvesting, which is what he said is when uh, partisan actors are encouraged to get involved with returning ballot absentee ballots. This is actually a rewritten version of a bill that Representative Moyle pushed last year. I believe it passed the Idaho House and was never considered by the Idaho Senate. But what this bill essentially would do, if we talk about House Bill 547, the new one, it would make it so that it would become a crime to turn in absentee ballots for people who aren't family members or relatives or roommates. Um, It was a really interesting hearing on Monday that I followed when this bill uh, was in committee. And one of the members of the public who spoke, her name was Kendall Shaver. She's a historian. She said she was testifying on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Idaho. She called this bill an awful solution in search of a problem. She asked, what's the compelling reason for making it more difficult or impossible for disabled people, elderly people, folks who live on American Indian reservations, people living in long-term care facilities, people who are sick, people who lack transportation, what's the compelling reason for making it more difficult to exercise uh, their right to vote? Um, She said many Idaho citizens don't have a family member or a spouse to turn in these these ballots. And so um, they may turn to a neighbor, uh, someone they go to church with, and uh, that this bill could create um, a, a chilling effect. But we heard from Deputy Secretary of State Jason Cancock, who testified that the Secretary of State's office supports this bill. And what he said was absentee ballot, absentee voting is kind of by its very nature, the least controlled form of voting, because that's where you don't have the elections officials right there handling the ballots. So he said by its very nature, it's like the least amount of control. And so he said the Secretary of State's office supported that bill. And uh, ultimately what we saw happening is it passed out of committee along party lines. The Republicans uh, supported it. The Democrats voted against it. And that bill uh, is heading to the the House for a vote anytime. And this bill, like I think a number of the bills that we're going to talk about uh, today, Ruth, have what's called an emergency clause attached to them. And I don't want to get too confusing here, but basically that would mean that this bill and any bill that has an emergency clause would become effective the minute it's signed into law, that's different than normally if you pass a bill, it wouldn't become effective until July 1st, um, the first day of the state's fiscal year, the the first day of the year for the state of Idaho, that's July 1st every year. And so why is that important? Because that means all these bills with emergency clauses would be a change that would apply to this year's primary elections, which are on May 17th. Uh, coming up in the spring. So all these new bills, all these changes that we're going to talk about have these emergency clauses. So if they do pass, they would take effect 
uh, for the primary election. And so it's kind of short notice. It would also, in some cases, affect the filing deadline, which comes up even earlier than the May elections. Representative Moyle uh, pitched a similar bill last year, uh, and I think a lot of folks took issue with the fact that it would be punishable by a felony. Uh, that bill did not make it through, but he's lessened the punishment, I suppose, but it would still be a crime. Yeah, that's one of the big changes with this new bill is that they dropped the felony provision in some circumstances. There's a threshold in there. So I think what it has to do with if you're not paid by any kind of a third party to collect and turn in the absentee ballots, and if you have less than 10, that's a misdemeanor. But if you have 10 or more, or if you're paid by a third party, then it becomes a felony. And we heard during Monday's committee hearing, Representative Moyle said he wished it was a felony all along, but he thought that that would give this bill a better chance of having traction in the Senate. Because you're right, it's based on that earlier bill from last year. That bill passed the House. Don't think it made it anywhere in the Senate. So that's one of the big changes. It's not um, a, a, a felony provision if you're not paid, if you have less than 10. But again, we talked about how uh, you know, and Idahoans like live everywhere from cities to suburbs to smaller towns to remote communities. Not everywhere uh, makes it super easy to necessarily just drop off that absentee ballot. So we talked about how if you're turning in an absentee ballot for a coworker, maybe if if you lived outside of the county seat in a more rural area, making a trip in, uh, we're going to turn in a ballot for a coworker. That that could be illegal under this bill. Uh, for a neighbor, maybe maybe everybody lives. A ways away from the post office or from the county elections office. Maybe it takes 20, 30 minutes to get into town. I'm going to take my neighbor's ballots in. You were able to do that in the past in Idaho, no problem. This bill would, would make that so it's a misdemeanor. Uh, and that was what some of the concern was. And so we did hear some concern from members of both political parties on that one. Another bill that came through House State Affairs uh, recently came from Representative Akunowitz uh, regarding unaffiliated voters and um, their ability to vote in a primary. Can you walk me through that and how what would that mean to voters? Yeah, so I think we're talking about House Bill 439. And I guess to provide a little bit of context, in Idaho, when you're a registered voter, there's a handful of different ways that you can go. Uh, you can be a registered voter and you can choose to affiliate. You can be a registered voter and remain unaffiliated. Uh, this comes into play in our primary season, uh, again, coming up on May 17th of this year, the big primary elections. And why it's important is because in order to vote in the Republican primary, you have to be affiliated with the Republican Party. It's called a closed primary. Uh, the Democratic primary is different. The Democrats don't require you to affiliate with their party in order to participate in the primary. So that's why that's what comes into play here with House Bill 439. What this would do is it would create a new deadline for those unaffiliated voters. If they wanted to affiliate with a political party, current laws, they can do that now any old time. What this bill would change is it would move the deadline up if it passes. And so the deadline for unaffiliated voters to affiliate with that political party, that deadline would be the same deadline for candidates to file to run for office. That's March 11th this year if this bill were to pass. So that's less than a month away. Um, and so... There are 310,000 unaffiliated voters in the state of Idaho. People choose to be unaffiliated for uh, a number of different reasons. The people who support the bill said they're unaffiliated voters 
who are going out there and gaming the system that they're holding back and they're deciding which primary to vote and to sort of game uh, the system. But uh, the people who also said like, well, what, what about like voters who are just researching the issues? Because if the deadline to affiliate with a party is now the deadline to file to run for office, you would have to affiliate with that party before you even knew who the candidates are going to be that are going to be running it in that primary. And so that was really, I thought, an interesting debate over House Bill 439. And again, it has that emergency clause. And so if it passes into law, it would take effect for this year's primary. So current law right now, uh, unaffiliated voters can affiliate whenever they want with a political party, even on the day of the primary election when they go to vote. This new bill, House Bill 439, would create that new deadline. And so there was a lot of talk about what's going on with these unaffiliated voters. Are they people who are taking time to get more information and wanting to research the candidates who are out there and deciding based on information, or are they trying to game the system? And so that's kind of where the debate broke down. That bill passed out of committee, and that bill is also heading to the Idaho House floor uh, for a vote and could be taken up for a vote anytime. All right, moving down the list. Uh, Representative Moon, who is running for Secretary of State, also pitched a bill. It would be House Bill 549 um, to not allow the use of student IDs for voting. And I believe it would eliminate the same day registration, uh, which we talked a little bit about. Uh, can you walk me through some of the, um, the issues around House Bill 549 and some of the reactions, I suppose, that legislators had? Yeah, this is another interesting one that we're following. And I also want to give a real quick shout out uh, to James Dawson from Boise State Public Radio and to Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press, who I think have done some really great reporting uh, on this bill. But you're absolutely right. Let's get into it. So it's House Bill 549, like you said, it's sponsored by Representative Dorothy Moon. And um, it would do a number of different things when we talk about when we talk about voting. It would make it so that you are no longer allowed to use a student ID as an acceptable form of identification when you go to vote. It would make it so that you could no longer use what's called a voter affidavit, but it was basically a legal document um, that voters are allowed to sign at the polls on election day if they either don't have their ID, they forgot it, or they don't want to uh, show it. Uh, under Idaho law right now, they have an opportunity to sign an affidavit, which is basically a legal document affirming their identity. That would go away. It would also do away with same-day voter registration, uh, like you talked about. And I think that's one of the areas of this bill that is drawing the most scrutiny for a number of different reasons. But one of those reasons, as Jimmy Dawson reported, was that Representative Moon never mentioned during the bill's introductory hearing that it would get rid of same-day voter registration. Uh, I went back and listened to the hearing again, and she just never mentioned it. She said she was going to give the committee the 30,000-foot view of the bill, uh, that she wasn't going to go into deep details, and then she said that's the bulk of it. Uh, but same-day voter registration is popular. It's been around for decades in the state of Idaho, and that literally means that if you want to go vote on election day and you're not registered, you can go to your polling place and you can register right there and you can vote. And this has been really popular, Ruth. I looked at the Secretary of State's office and for the 2020 general election, uh, 87,000 Idahoans, more than 87,000 registered to vote and voted on election day in 2020. That was like 9% of the overall number of voters 
who voted. And so um, this bill has been getting a lot of attention. It uh, was introduced in committee. I have not seen it advance uh, past that point, but it wasn't introduced that long ago. It's still a fairly recent bill, um, but that would make a number of different changes. That bill also has that emergency clause that we talked about that would make it effective uh, for this year, but a bunch of different reporters have done really good reporting. Betsy uh, Russell in the Idaho Press reported that if b- this bill passed, it would actually um, kind of remove Idaho's exemptions from a number of different federal voting requirements. And so there's all kinds of different um, aspects surrounding uh, Representative Moon's bill, which is that House Bill 549. I know in committee, Representative um... Matthias addressed that um, some students who are um, maybe their hometown is out of state, but they vote with their student ID may no longer be allowed uh, to vote. As someone, when I first moved to Idaho, I did register um, the day of the election and you just show up to your polling place with a utility bill. Yeah, there's been, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. There's been a lot of interest in in who this could affect and how this would affect students, Uh, because you're absolutely right. uh, What Representative Mathias mentioned uh, during the bill's hearing about um, that, yeah, it's common for students who come from elsewhere to have a driver's license from back home. Uh, The driver's license would maybe be from another state or another city, list a different address, and that could be, um, you know, more more difficult and, and, and uh, for students to vote, especially if the same day registration provision uh, is removed. And so that really could affect uh, a lot of Idahoans. But we're talking, you know, again, more than 87,000 Idahoans registered to vote on Election Day in 2020. That's like bigger than the city of, of Caldwell, um, you know, 87,000 people. So this is not just some obscure thing uh, that only a few people have taken advantage of. And I remember you know, being a reporter, always talking to election officials and talking about, you know, issuing folks like talking about articles, like reminding people, OK, you can register to vote on Election Day. Don't worry if you're not registered to vote. Election Day is coming up. If you'd like to register, you can do that in the state of Idaho. So that's a big historic change um, because that's something that people have also always talked about. But when you talk about Representative Moon and some of the people that have supported this bill, they said it's about election integrity. In fact, I think they call it the Secure Elections Act. Uh, and they say that um, that they wanna make elections more secure and that that's one way that they, that they wanna do it. I think they said in particular, they were concerned about the voter affidavit and not having to show an ID that would prove uh, your residence or citizenship status. So that was where the supporters were coming from is they're talking about that they feel like this is a way to make elections more secure. But again, I think we've had, you know, these claims uh, connected with former President Trump about the election being stolen and whatnot. Idaho Secretary of State's office looked into this and said uh, there was no election fraud. There was no um, no election steal whatsoever in, in Idaho. And it's interesting, as we know, you know, Republicans dominate elections in Idaho. They've won every statewide office, I believe, uh, since like 2005. And, and so um, that's where some of this may be rooted, these claims about election security and election fraud. But again, uh, the Republican officials who run the Secretary of State's office in Idaho said, we looked into this, we take these claims very seriously. Uh, election security is extremely important to us. And that is not something that has happened in the state of Idaho. Sure, absolutely. And I think Representative Moyle even mentioned that he didn't have a specific example of 
ballot harvesting, which is um, the term used in reference to the bill he pitched. He didn't have a specific example of um, ballot harvesting in, I suppose, in a, in a notable way, like in mass that would actually change an election one way or the other. That was a really interesting part of, of Monday's committee hearing because, yeah, Representative Moyle had said that. We don't think we have a problem here in the state of Idaho. He suggested that maybe there were issues in other states. I know when he had the bill last year, he gave anecdotal evidence of maybe something out of state that would happen where people were paid to collect ballots. But it was interesting during Monday's hearing when Representative Moyle said, uh, or when it was brought up that there wasn't a, a problem with this in the state of Idaho, Representative Mathias, I believe it was, said, well, then why is there an emergency clause attached to this bill saying it needs to take effect immediately because emergency is in place if this has never once happened in the state of Idaho? Why is this emergency clause there? So I thought that was an interesting part of Monday's committee debate. So I want to shift the uh, conversation from voting to candidates. Uh, Representative Crane pitched a bill that I believe is at general orders right now, but that was regarding uh, candidate registration. Can you walk me through that? Yeah, this I think you're talking about House Bill 567 here. And yeah, absolutely. This was sponsored by Representative Brent Crane, who's a Republican from Nampa. What this would do, this applies to the candidate filing window. And so this is the official paperwork that a candidate would need to file uh, to be on the ballot ahead of the primary elections. Right now in state law, there's a two-week filing period, and it's just about to open up. I think it would go from February 28th until March 11th. Uh, so you've got this two-week filing period. That's where the candidates need to turn in their forms to officially uh, appear on the ballots. This one would shorten it down to one week. But again, there's a couple of things that came up that I think are the reason why this bill uh, ran into issues and was sent out for general orders, which is sent out uh, so that it could be amended, right? So that legislators could maybe make a change to this bill. One of the issues is, like we talked about, that filing deadline opens super quickly. It opens on February 28th. That's less than two weeks away. And this bill hasn't even passed yet. And so if the bill passed, there's a scenario where there's like maybe one day of notice that the filing period would change. And you got to figure that every incumbent legislator would know about that because they would vote on whether to pass this bill. But maybe challengers or people still considering whether they could run for office, maybe they wouldn't know about it. And that could affect them. But there was also a way, uh, there was also an issue with the way that Representative Crane described the bill during the public hearing. He actually kind of got the dates wrong about how the filing deadline would change. He said that the end filing deadline wouldn't change, when in fact it would. And so it would shorten the filing period to just five days. And uh, there was really some concern about whether uh, this was going to be too fast of a change, given that that filing window really is just a couple of weeks away and this bill hasn't even passed yet. And so at the last minute during the public hearing, Representative Crane said, hey, someone just reached out to me. They corrected me about the dates of when the filing period would change here. And there is concern about this being a last second change. So then they did, like you said, agree to send it out for possible amendments, to send it out to the amending order, to the general orders. And I think one of the changes they talked about is actually taking off the emergency clause in this case so that the bill would not apply to this year's 
primary election, but would apply into the future uh, if it is signed into law. And so um, it'll be interesting. As you know, Ruth, as, as I think most of the listeners of the podcast know that when you send a bill out for amendments, any legislator can make any amendment for any reason. And so it's not guaranteed. That's where we get into that fun term hostile amendment, right? Uh, any legislator can propose any amendment for any reason, uh, whether it has to do with the bill or making it better or not. And so, but I think the sentiment is um, keep the policy intact, but don't make it take effect with the emergency clause for this year. So we'll see if House Bill 567 does get taken up for possible changes and amendments and, uh, and where they go with that. I was interested in Representative uh, Crane's rationale when he was explaining why he thought this was important. Um, can you walk me through a little bit about why he wanted to shrink that window from two weeks to one? Did this almost feel like a little bit of a secret getting out that maybe shouldn't have? Um, <laughs> well, because what he talked about was when the filing window is open, what he said is that kind of grinds activity to a halt during the legislative session, that people hold off on pursuing the big issues and he just sort of said it in a sort of general way in the introductory hearing, but then I think it was Representative Skog asked him about it. And he said, what are you talking about? Who does this? And Representative Crane, that's when he said, when the filing period's open, everybody's watching online to see who's filing for what office, to see who's going to be getting an opponent. I'm sure they're watching the Ion Boise blog over at the Idaho Press to see what, Boise, what Betsy is reporting. So he just painted this picture of activity grinding to a halt while everyone is, I think he used the term obsessed um, with these filings to see if they're getting challengers, who's running for what office. So the idea that he said was that if we shorten it from two weeks to one, there'll be less of those distractions. What he said was that, you know, people who are planning to run for office should know that they're running for office by now anyways. But it was kind of interesting. Um, you know, I've been covering the, the session for more than 10 years and, I, you know, it's obvious that people do track the filings with interest. You know, I don't know. Does it go back and drag everything to a halt? I'd have to go back and really and really look. Um, but that was kind of interesting. His justification there for said people are just obsessively watching these filings. and It needs to come to an end is what he said. There will be big changes with elections uh, this year. There's a whole lot of people running for office, and there was also um, redistricting, of course. What kind of a role do you think that played in um, having so many bills referencing elections or uh, candidacy come through the House this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the election is a big part of the reason why uh, we are, we're seeing some of those bills. And, and I think, you know, the legislators, they stick the emergency clause on there to guarantee that it would have take effect before the primary really shows that that is the reason. So I think, you know, we've seen this before in, in the past. I don't know how, is it more prevalent this year than it was six years ago, eight years ago? It's hard to say, but we have seen things like that in the past. Like you saw when um, when Medicaid expansion passed and you saw in the sessions following that there were bills that would restrict uh, the citizens ballot initiative process. And then you had the Idaho Supreme Court come back and say, you know, the initiative and referendum process is a fundamental right of Idahoans that must be protected. And so we do see this back and forth, you know, this tension surrounding elections. It seems like there's a lot of them uh, this year. And, and these are important elections in 2022. Um, 
you know, it's just worth remembering that all 105 seats in the legislature are up for election this year. All of the big statewide offices like government, lieutenant governor, uh, secretary of state, superintendent of public instruction, treasurer, things like that are up uh, this year. And so there's going to be a bunch of, of, of effects because of that. We also know it's a significant election because for the first time in 10 years, we have new legislative and congressional districts through the redistricting process uh, that took place following the census. So when you take redistricting and the election year and people running for higher office, people like Speaker of the House Scott Bedke, Representative Dorothy Moon, uh, Representative Priscilla Giddings, uh, Senator Mary Souza, all running for higher office, throw in redistricting, throw in elections. I mean, I think that there's going to be significant turnover uh, in the in the Idaho House and in the Idaho Senate next year. At a bare minimum, we know there's going to be a new Speaker of the House. But I think that, you know, I think back to, was it the 2012 legislative class where Representative Wendy Horman maybe first came in? That was a huge uh, class of freshman legislators, particularly in the House, uh, high degree of turnover. And so we could see something like that again uh, following this year's election. It'll be really interesting to see the effects from the changes. Clark Corbin, Idaho Capital Sun. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Of course. For more information on these bills, visit the Idaho Reports blog, watch our Friday show on Idaho Public Television, or visit the Idaho Capital Sun's website online. Also on Tuesday, at the time of this recording, the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare deactivated crisis standards of care. We have more on that on the blog as well. Thanks for listening. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.